0: We sold out in six hours in our public sale, 9,000 NFT-based memberships. Shortly thereafter, we, we got together and started talking and realized no one on the core team had purchased a golf course before.
1: Welcome to the Sporting Crypto podcast, where we talk to leaders in the sports and web three space about their journeys in this crazy world. On episode eight, I'm joined by Cooper Sherwin, who is the co-founder and head of communications at LinkStyle. Cooper, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh, great to be here. Why don't you tell us a bit more about what you're focusing your energy on right now?
0: Right now, we are focused a lot on growing and expanding the Lynx community, bringing more golfers into the ecosystem to experience you know, what we're calling reimagining the golf and leisure club, right? more inclusive, exciting and accessible golf experiences for,
1: you know, a sport that's traditionally been pretty gated. And why don't you tell us a bit more about you personally? In terms of Web3, where did that professional and personal interest spark? Sure. So personally, I I bought my first Bitcoin in
0: 2013. Wow! No way. Sold it for a hundred dollar profit and thought I was a genius. You know, one of those things. Um, and that had kind of been my experience with crypto through the Ethereum launch and up until the advent of of NFTs. Personally, I've I've worked with you know a number of brands in social media and marketing, but really the Web3 connection between brands, audiences, communities, and, and ideas in kind of this new tokenized paradigm. Starting in about 2021 is when I went full-time in Web3, building out communities for artists and brands and eventually now Links. Give us the one-liner. What is LynxDAO? What is LynxDAO? Lynx Golf Club with LinkStyle as an integral part, is reinventing the modern golf club. So it's an inclusive community of golfers all over the world that have access to incredible golf experiences, great benefits from some of the best brands in the world of golf, and access to the golf course that
1: we bought in Scotland's Bay Bay golf course. And so let's talk about that, right? Give me a chronological timeline from we're doing this thing to buying the golf club. Right from the very like, first message you sent, probably Mike Dudas, give us the timeline. Sure. It's one of those stories of being on Twitter at the
0: right moment. Uh, I've been following Mike in, in the space for a little while, and then it was on the heels of the Constitution Dow attempt to purchase one of the original copies of the U.S. Constitution, which famously failed, as well as Gary Vaynerchuk's Flyfish Club, which is here in New York, uh, the membership-based restaurant. So these ideas were being discussed and then Mike tweeted, we're going to go buy a top golf course links now. Um, I immediately replied and said, hey, I've been a golfer my whole life. I'd love to get involved with with building out this community. And we launched a Discord. A few hours later, we had 9,000 people in there, all really excited about this idea of coming together and achieving this big picture golf course purchase. We launched our initial membership sale on January 1st of 2022. We sold out in six hours in our public sale, uh, nine thousand NFT-based memberships. Shortly thereafter, we we got together and started talking and realized no one on the core team had purchased a golf course before. I mean, listen, it's a niche thing. Right. But... Sure. Yeah, it's uh, you know, and we we're like, what do we do now? Right, like we have to. Generate these relationships and start talking to people, and you know we, we made some news, which was great because we actually started getting a lot of inbound and, and talked to a lot of people in the golf industry. So I think we had this big picture idea from launch by a golf course, and then we started working on how do we deliver value to our members today and within a couple of weeks we partnered with Shipsticks, the golf club shipping company, Five Iron Golf, which is an indoor simulator and kind of a bar and restaurant concept, and that got the ball rolling with just delivering more and more partnerships, creating relationships in the world of golf. We partnered with Callaway and they're a strategic investor in Lynx. Uh, famously Top Golf is, is one of their great products, which is an awesome entry point for golfers of all kinds. And all the while making connections with folks uh, in the golf industry who were very kind to us in making introductions to golf course architects, course owners, course networks, where we could give our members access to great networks of private courses while we sought the ideal first course to, to purchase. We sourced and spoke to, I think, over 100 courses in the U.S. and none overseas until we saw the listing for Spey Bay in Scotland. And it just kind of became a, what if we did that? And, you know, explored, went over there. There was a pretty compelling price point versus U.S.-based courses. You know, the Scottish golf culture is incredible. It's the home of golf. So we took that, research and kind of the team's opinion on what this course could be, what the upside could be to the community. We had a vote as a DAO and 88% of the votes came in in favor of purchasing Spey Bay. So we, we sent our, our CFO, C. Bruce over there, Chris Bruce, to you know make the offer at the 11th hour, I think literally. And uh, yeah, he had never played that golf course and he never actually hit a ball on a Scottish golf course when we we put in the offer to, to buy the course. So we ended up winning the bid. Interestingly enough, part of that was because the seller had some competitive offers, but was really interested in the value that a community like Lynx could bring to the course, not just, you know, another uh, real estate investor or or
1: course buyer over there. What an amazing story. This is going to be weird, but I want to focus in on what was some of the like negative vitriol reaction when you guys raised all that money? Was there a lot of, these guys are fucking crazy, this is never going to work, they're never going to buy a golf course, this is another Dow trying to do something in sports, or like buy a sports team or buy a sports property and it's never going to happen?
0: Sure, I think I have a, a little bit of rose-colored glasses on it from being internal as, as head of community at the time, you know, speaking to people who were really passionate and excited about the idea. And to me, that far outweighs any of the negativity. But of course, we had a ton of questions and, you know, really difficult questions around how do we structure this organization, right? What is a DAO and who buys and purchases the golf course? You know, there's regulatory uncertainty around the world of crypto generally, but also how DAOs operate. And I think we really struck the nail on the head with our framework of, you know, a symbiotic relationship between a C-corp and a DAO that advises and can vote on really important things. Externally, I'm absolutely certain there are some people who said, you know, you'll never buy a golf course. And I hit them with the, you know, remind me of this in six months uh, tag on Twitter. And recently, some people have been tagging those after the purchase of Spade. They've been like, look, told you so. Yeah, I think, you know, most of the the negativity and, and doubt was washed out mostly by the strength of the team and, and early success in relationships with golf companies. I mean Mike Dudas' reputation is stellar. Jim Daly, our CEO, is top notch. Adam Beznivik, who's running our golf operations, is awesome. Greg Hill on product. We've we developed a really great token gated and, you know, member platform to access these golf benefits. And I think, you know, any investigation by doubters were silenced on pretty
1: early looks into under the hood of what we were building. It's so amazing and it's, it's so funny to see. I mean, the thing is, right, like why wouldn't they have that negative reaction? Completely externally, you've just seen Constitution Dow fail. You know, fail strong because they raised $32 million but like not do the thing that they set out to do. And I think that's been the key thing, right? Like a lot of DAOs been like, we're going to buy the Denver Broncos. Like, no, you're not. Like, come on, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And the key thing is actually executing, doing the thing that you set out to do, however lofty the goal, like getting there or dying trying.
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, an interesting dynamic, and, and a lot of communities that you know I've spoken to or, or, or worked with, they either focus too small in the day to day, or they're going to send somebody to the moon, literally, right? I've seen NFT projects that have dropped some one person who mints this is going to go to space, <laughs> um, crazy stuff. But I think you know we we've struck a balance between you know day to day utility and member value, and rallying a community around this big picture idea, right? And you know, Spay Bay is our first course. We're we're not done, right? We're just getting started. We are actively committed to acquiring a course in the U.S. and multiple
1: courses down the road. Using Web3 and crypto, why has that been such a USP for you folks and why couldn't you have done this off-chain?
0: I think, to be completely honest with you, we got tremendously lucky with timing. There was a peak of new users coming into and creating uh, Ethereum wallet addresses right in January of 2022 right when we minted and launched, right? I'd like to think we are partially responsible for the onboarding of a lot of people in, hey, I want to participate in this cool experiment and join with that. You know, I think the revolutionary idea, uh, especially as it relates to golf, of, you know, if you go and look and joining a golf course uh, in the New York area or the Philly area where I'm from, the wait lists are incredibly long. You have to pay tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars as an initiation fee, some of which you may never see again. And you are locked into just one club, one community. So I think tokenizing our memberships, offering uh, you know, the ability to, to leave and, and you know there exists a secondary market for these memberships is, is really interesting. But ultimately, I think there was just a lot of excitement around this idea of participatory governance and, and the technology that enables the community experience that's really unlike anything else in, in golf or sport.
1: That's so concise and so good. I want to ask you a question about I think I wrote about links, and I said this is like community in the back, business in the front. How did you get to that structure, and why has it been so successful for you? Sure, I think we have some some
0: great business minds on the team, right? I think that somebody once called us the adults in the room uh, of Web three. <laughs> uh, you know, no offense to, to other projects. I've met a lot of great people, especially through you, who are, are working on really really cool and important things. But we have, you know, I think been dedicated as. What we like to call golf sickos, you know, like everyone on the team is is really really obsessed with golf and, and what the experience of a golfer is like, you know, in the modern world. And you know, we see the problems that we really want to improve. So, in terms of that business model, we've just been obsessed. And you know, Nick Walker and Partnerships has done a great job making deals and delivering professional, engaging, and exciting opportunities for members to participate. But. Really, the I think the secret sauce is that community side where our members are coming into the chats and, you know, we can announce a new partnership and people are like, yeah, yeah that's cool. I'm going to go use that. But we get by far the most engagement when it comes to voting on things together, like making decisions about course corrections, uh, you know, the direction we're going, the causes we want to support through charity, the logos we want to select for the organization. You know, and, and I'm, I'm really proud to say that our DAO participation, the number of votes, number of people voting, has remained relatively flat since January of 2022, which is, as you know, Web3 has kind of bounced around in terms of popularity and participation over that time. But I
1: think that's the thing that keeps people coming back and really excited. I want to ask you a bit more about some of the challenges you faced. Operationally as a DAO, what are the things you thought weren't going to be that difficult that were really hard? Sure. There's a a concept
0: called the loud angries. If you propose an idea to a group of people, you know, it may be very popular, but the loudest, angriest 10% are going to be the majority of your attention, right? And I think that working with a community of people, I, th- I think that the, the Lynx community has probably the least proportion of, of that cohort in them. But getting a diverse group of people from all over the country, all over the world together uh, and having conversations about, you know, what can we do? What should we do? Has been, you know, tricky. And then there's another side of it, which is, you know, explaining what your DAO membership really means. You know, some people buy a token on OpenSea without talking to anyone, without you know doing any research, and they come in and be like, "I own a golf course," and we're like, "Well, well that's not exactly how it works. You have a say, right? You have you have a, a, an interest, and you get all of these benefits and everything else that goes along with it." I'm really grateful to you know our community members, our community team, who have. Rallied around and, and been great leaders and
1: doers in executing this vision. And then the vision, right? Executionally, were there any like really near misses almost buying a golf course? And then after answering that, why don't you talk us through like the executional part of like actually buying Spade Bay? Because I'm sure your CFO was great, is great, but I'm, I'm sure he didn't just rock up and was like, here's the check. Sure. So there have been absolute near misses. We
0: have, like I said, done due diligence in a really deep way with 10 plus courses in the U.S. And it's a complex real estate transaction, right? I mean, anyone who's bought a house knows that there's a ton of details that go into closing brokers and, you know, inspections and, and all the like. So there's personalities involved and, and these are complex transactions. So we've gotten close and we, we've been looking particularly hard at the southeastern United States, Georgia, the Carolinas and been in deep conversations with a couple of, of course owners down there. And, you know, for one reason or another, structuring these deals, people love their golf too. Imagine if you owned a golf course and you're like, well, you know, I'd, I'd love to sell it to you, but I kind of want to stay involved in some way, <laughs> right? Or, um, you know, I, I, I have these caveats to how I'd like this, this deal to be structured, where ultimately, you know, we just haven't been able to find, you know, meeting of the minds. Those have been big disappointments, especially earlier in the year when we were, or last year when we were really excited about Getting close on some of these deals, and then it's like, ah, it fell through. And it's like, okay, when when course, when course is something the community was asking a lot. Those have been tough misses, but I think finding a great opportunity like Spay, especially at the price point, was something that we all really rallied around. And like, let's let's go do this. Um, and that moment when it became very possible and very real, uh, and the level of community involvement in that decision making, you know, I think set it off. As for the process around Spay specifically, uh, we saw there was an MSN article posted. There's only 247 true Scottish links courses um, in the world, and this is one of them. And it, it went up for sale, and we saw this MSN article shortly thereafter. Our golf fanatics in the the server were, you know, hey, I saw this, I saw this, and we were like, we're on it, right? We're checking this out. We, you know, did some diligence initially. We started calling some partners that we have in the UK and said, hey, have you heard of this place? What's it like? Some trusted folks that we knew through our course networks that our members get access to, they went over and said this is kind of cool. Like this, this could be really special. Uh, you know, 13 of the 18 holes are right along the sea at, on the Moray Firth. So we started looking at more pictures and sharing it. And then, you know, eventually it said, okay, there's a deadline to make this bid. And in order to do that, we need to have the community make a decision. So Chris and uh, the rest of the team put together a overview document. Here's how much we, the asking price is. here's the location, the potential, you know, and that's what I think was really interesting was what the upside could be long-term with a, with a course like this. Obviously it's not one that you or I had heard of before this process. (laughs) Um, So, you know, the question is, what is it? Yeah. Right. Like how good can this be? And the history of the course is really incredible. So we put together all this documentation, shared it with the community. And it was one of those weekends, the initial response was like, Scotland, like, really? Are you sure? We had really lively debate and discussion uh, in the community throughout the weekend about will this derail our U.S. course acquisition process? Like, how can we prioritize all of this? Is it worth it for, for the community to do it? But ultimately, we came around and said, you know, this is this is a great option. One of the original Scottish Lynx courses doesn't come up on the market very often, especially not one like this. And we saw the we as a community agreed on the potential that Spot had. So the vote went through. After a lot of discussion, 88% voted yes, and then I believe we had 36 hours after the close of the vote. It became pretty obvious immediately that it was going to pass without, you know, something crazy. I think we have most of our votes in the community go through, I think, 85 is the lowest we've had, so, you know, it was, uh, we knew pretty quickly that that was going to happen, so I think Chris booked some flights, like, 12 hours into the vote, and got over there, we worked with uk attorneys to you know figure all that out met with the existing owner and and said hey here's our offer the time between making the offer and closing the deal far far long. felt like an eternity versus that decision making process so obviously there's due diligence it's on the sea what's erosion look like you know how does the clubhouse operate what's what's the existence of the current members of spay right the spay bay has an existing membership of 140 folks and, you know, it's something we had debated about buying a private club in the U.S. It's like, oh, how do we, you know, do they have to buy NFTs? You know, like, yeah, how, I how do they... say, oh, you got like another 140 on board. Right, right, exactly. So, yeah, we bring them into the community. Um, Did you actually get them to buy NFTs? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, these, these are questions right in the community. It's like, how does, how does this work? And we're like, we've never done it before. I guess we'll find out. But the deal closed, which was a, a tremendously celebratory day. Jim flew over, got the keys, you know, sealed the deal. Yeah, I think... You know the property is incredible. I got to go over there this past summer and experience it myself. You know the property is really great. We've contracted with uh, Clayton Devries v- De and Pont, who's a you know legendary golf course architecture firm. Mike Devries was on site during our, our welcome event. Who, you know he said, "I don't think there's many hidden gems left in, in golf. This may be the last one," which is high praise from someone like him. You know renovations are are starting this fall, but I think the thing that shocked me the most and that I was I was most pleasantly surprised with was that existing membership right. The local members of Spey Bay have been so great to interact with. They were so welcoming during our welcome event. You know, a little nervousness at first. What are these Americans going to come in and do? But within an hour, I think we really had a shared bond around not only the property, but the game of golf, which we all love. What was your first reaction when you got on the ground and saw it? Uh, It was about 1.30 a.m. when I pulled up to the Airbnb. uh, And I was like, is that... uh, so I was very tired. Uh, we I landed, played eighteen holes somewhere else, and then we got to the Airbnb. But uh, that morning, when I woke up and looked out the window of our Airbnb and saw the clubhouse in the first hole, I mean, it was just goosebumps. Just immediately, like, wow, we did this. We actually did the thing that for the past, you know, year and a half, two years, we'd been pushing for and working towards. Um, you know, and I think it's it was part shock of overwhelmed with with that idea but also excitement that this model works right and that you know we can actually replicate this not just for links not just for golf but you know bringing decentralized online communities rallying around ideas and working together to achieve common goals which you know
1: many can doubt and say are insurmountable but it can be done talking of the community can you explain to the audience who might be from like a sports background marketing background that might not be as in the weeds on the Web three front. Operationally, how does it work from someone having an NFT to being in a community, a Discord, having a lot of the funds, seeing it on chain, all that kind of thing, to voting? And then, what kind of things can your community vote on? Starting very
0: broadly, uh, if you're in sports or marketing, these are your fans, right? These are your people who are you know committed to your cause. And you know what would an MLB game be without any any fans? I guess we found out in 2020. But I think that the key success metric for, you know, Web3 communities, but also kind of into this online social media paradigm, community involvement, feedback, you know, people want to have a voice and a say, right? Web3 is this read, write, own concept, the evolution of the internet from social media and, you know, dive into all of that. But I believe that that community involvement and not just, you know, paying lip service to the idea of getting, Market surveys or, or feedback from folks who are your fans but actually true engagement and involvement from a group of people in your decision making process and you know ultimately being them being the source of a lot of the ideas that decisions are made upon is a tremendously powerful tool we've seen not only you know organic web3 or crypto ideas rally around this and achieve really cool things but lots of larger brands and established companies are seeing the power of Building a Discord server, inviting people in to have conversations, you know, segmenting those users based on their level of fandom or participation, or uh, you know, participation and attendance of events. Right, you can do a lot to connect people based around their their ideas, their level of participation, and then ultimately you can bring them together, have them source ideas, and contribute to a shared vision. Whether that be you know, Batman buying a golf course or, you know, the potential is limitless on, you know, should we trade this player? Some pro sports teams have been, you know, debating these questions of of governance and and decision-making at the, the top level. I mean, there's even one where the community decides which play to run, right? Fan-controlled football. So I think that we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg for the potential for community involvement in these kind of broader missions. But I do believe that relinquishing a little bit of that high level control that, you know, we've come to love in in business to the, the broader voice and, and allowing them to, you know, guide, participate and be active in, in a lot of those decisions pays awesome dividends.
1: And then just to go a little bit more narrow into some of the types of decisions that your community have made, can you give us some examples? Sure. I believe the first vote we had was threefold. It was, should we partner
0: with brands to provide utilities to the community? A... Donation to a charitable cause, um, I believe it was Steph Curry's, uh, Steph and Aisha Curry's foundation. And from there, we've had votes and decisions about merch and apparel, right? Like what type of branding, what type of clothing we should work with. We've had votes about which golf course to buy. And I am drawing a blank right now, but we've done 18 separate DAO governance votes, uh, approximately you know, one per month
1: throughout the whole process. Which isn't actually that many, right? But I think keeping it at like the right type of question to ask rather than like, does the S in Links have to curve? You know, which 99.9% of your community won't care about.
0: Yeah. Additionally, one of the things that we've put a lot of focus on is having a robust contributor system. So you or anyone else who's a Lynx member can come in and say, hey, I have this marketing background. I have this golf background. I have, you know, graphic design talents and say, you know, I, I'd like to work on this project or, or assist in the mission in this way. And we've had a system to pay out DAO contributors over time with this. And, and it's been really, really successful. Uh, I think the vast majority of our existing full-time team came through the DAO contributor mm. process. So, uh, you know, allowing people to add their ideas, their talents, their skills, and rewarding them for that, not just, uh, you know, having them donate it to the the cause
1: has been... You know, really, really great. And it's, it's been something that's pushed our mission forward. Amazing. In sports, broadly, DAOs haven't really worked that well. What is your take on how few we've seen do real stuff, right? So when people ask me, I think about kind of like Lynx, House, Cry Combat. There's some interesting ones, right? And there's some new ones now that are kind of forthcoming and we'll see how they end up. I think Rugby DAO, uh, GP with the dao and team, both kind of coming up in the last three to four months. Why do you think there hasn't been more success stories?
0: Well, first off, I believe that there are opportunities that are kind of ripe for disruption or community participation and entering some of these markets. You know, I think we can tie this back to Constitution ConstitutionDAO and there were only eight copies of that available for purchase, right? And so if you miss one, they don't come up for sale very often. You, you may never have that chance again. The same thing comes for pro sports teams, right? There's a limited number of them and their ownership usually doesn't necessarily want to part ways with them. So finding the right mission market and aligned fan base is a really, really difficult task. Say we want to you know, achieve this goal, but there's a path of least resistance and then there's a path of a lot of resistance, right? And it takes a, a significant amount of legwork, effort, talks, time, right, to get through some of those doors and into some of those conversations. And I think that that's not something that is compatible with a lot of the Web3 NFT crypto attention span. Some people deploy their capital to buy uh, NFTs or support some of these missions. And, you know, at a certain point, if things aren't moving fast enough, they're going to one out, right? They, they're on to the next thing. They, they might need that liquidity for something else. So in that way, the community side and the market side is, is difficult to manage, especially when people are looking at a project as speculation rather than participation,
1: which is something that's, I think, endemic to the space. I think really well said. I think the next kind of iteration of this world is going to be as you just put it, more participation than speculation. We're going to talk a lot more about the future of links and where the challenges might lie and more broadly in the Sports Web 3 market. Before we do that, I need to let you know that this podcast is sponsored by the HBAR Foundation and they are the ecosystem accelerator of Hedera, the most used sustainable enterprise-grade DLT for the decentralized economy together with industry leading use cases and globally renowned partners the foundation is actively scaling web3 consumer engagement across the metaverse gaming defi regenerative finance and beyond so let's talk a bit more about the future and what does the end goal look like for linkstyle if i said global domination
0: That would probably not be the best response. So, I think we want to be the preeminent golf brand in in the world. I think there are lots of great golf brands out there today. You know, Callaway, Top Golf come to mind as, as awesome things. Nike, you know, did great things with Tiger Woods back in the day. But connecting the world of golf, the idea of belonging, finding your place in the game, connecting with other golfers globally, locally, Links becoming the brand that does that for, for the world of golf and for each individual golfer, I think is the end game. So uh, you know, in the short term, it's the next hundred thousand, quarter of a million golfers coming into the ecosystem, not necessarily as NFT holders or down members, but we've launched fiat options to purchase memberships in Links that give you access to the club, so you can join the club with a credit card and access a lot of the the benefits um, and participate in the community and that drives our mission forward so i think we've stated that we want to have 10 golf courses by 2030 which you know is an ambitious goal but we're, we're pushing towards that growing our membership significantly and you know ultimately revolutionizing the stuffy existing golf paradigm and replacing it with you know one that any golfer can access a top flight golf experience
1: on a whim through links amazing 2030 is a long way to think, and I don't think many Web3 native brands think that far. I'm going to ask like, an interesting question here. Do you think you can reconcile a business that has to go out and achieve these big lofty ambitions with a Web3 native community?
0: Yes, I think that you know our, our Web3 native community has been the key to our success. They've been so supportive and helped push the mission forward. Contributed to all of our operations uh, since since inception. Obviously, there is a concept that was really really hot in 2021 of you know approximately 10,000 tokens, right? And that's what you do. That's not necessarily compatible with global scale membership, right? Which is why that has evolved into the core of our community, but we have expanded our membership options to to welcome in golfers. To be inclusive and accessible, You know, we have this permissionless token. And then we realized that 90% of golfers perhaps don't have an interest in creating a crypto wallet and buying an NFT. So we became in a way inaccessible because our only membership options were NFTs. So we've expanded that. And ultimately, I think that our foundation, Web3, helps drive us forward. We're in love with the technology, in love with what it can do for golf and membership. But no, I don't think that being Web3 is a, a blocker
1: necessarily for our, our end goals. And how important has it been for you to... Build a strong brand in golf and not just Web3. Yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, we've we've had to rebrand ourselves and kind of evolve into a golf company, not an NFT project, right? I think that there's a, a lot of chatter on Twitter. What's the best NFT project? What's the best, you know, PFP project? Like, we're a golf company, right? We just, we started out with, you know, NFTs and, and I'm, I'm so glad that we did because it's gotten us to, to this point. But it's been really important, especially in light of you know some of the negative news cycles we've seen in crypto throughout the bear market. That you know when we approach partners who are have been involved in golf for hundred years plus, you know, in some cases, we're golf people and we are doing cool things for the world of golf. The how, the technology side, you know, can take any form. Like, does anyone care if you use AWS on the back end of your website? No. It's it's the technology that's underlying. And enabling, but ultimately,
1: you know, our mission is, is golf centric. And then the mission being so lofty, you folks having to become a sustainable business, how do you marry that up with some of your Web3 native community wanting to see upsides? You, you mentioned like participation, not speculation, but like they obviously don't own the golf course, but how do you marry that with like them, as I said, seeing some of that upside in your growth?
0: Sure. So we have from the beginning told our members, you only really need one Lynx golf membership, right? And some people listen to that, some people don't. One of the things that I'm really proud of is that we offered our members opportunities to invest in our seed round. You know, if you're an accredited investor and a Lynx member, you had the opportunity to invest in the corporation to, you know, be a part owner of that golf course, see the upside, you know, in in the long term. So we have provided those opportunities outside of our membership tokens to, you know, invest, you could say, in, in the future of Lynx. Our members who are, you know, token holders, they get the best access forever, lifetime access to everything the Lynx ecosystem has to offer. And additionally, you know, we're just getting started. So as we continue to build, add more partnerships, buy more golf courses, the upside that we encourage folks to see is improvements in their golf game, golf experiences, and golf life, right? The participation in the ecosystem and helping to drive it forward, I think, satisfies that need. And I think that a lot of our community members recognize that as the primary benefit of being a Lynx member, uh, not necessarily being able to 10x their their membership tokens.
1: Another weird question from me, if you were starting Lynx over again, what would you do differently? So I think that
0: we probably would have done something more along the lines of an unlimited, you know, non-quantitizement. I think that, that wasn't at all the paradigm or
1: in the thought process, the zeitgeist, I, I guess you could say, of that time. Is that to make it inclusive? Is that to raise bigger capital so you can get to your goal quicker or a, or a mix of all of
0: that? I won't guess as to how much we could have raised if we had sold you know unlimited tokens at our mint price, but I think that people were looking for opportunities to get in early on scarcity. And artificial scarcity uh, was not necessarily something that was necessary for the success of this project. Obviously, having 10,000 members or 50,000 members at one specific golf course poses some logistical challenges with getting tee times and everything. So in that light, I think there, there needs to be a balance there. We launched with uh, a two-tier membership, Global and Leisure. I think that in a way that was interesting and, and added opportunities for folks to pick the right package that worked for them. But in a way we've tied ourselves to you know maintaining, because Globals get four, Votes per per membership and leisures get one vote per membership, and so we've kind of been having to you know adjust levers every once in a while to keep those proportions aligned with how much value some people get versus others versus a more democratized option. You know, I really think that we did I mean, maybe naming the global and leisure something that makes sense. Gold and platinum, I think, are in a set. Gold and leisure are not correlated in any way. <laughs> it's one of the things that when you, uh, you don't call a branding agency and you launch in two weeks that you just don't think about. So the ability to add to enhance, differentiate those packages and memberships is something that we didn't consider at the launch, but it's something that we've put a lot of thought into
1: with our, our new membership options. What are some of the things that you ended up doing throughout this process that you thought were really going to be easy, but actually turned out to be incredibly difficult? You can't say buying a golf course. That's doesn't count. Sure. I, I, I was blissfully not
0: super tight on that process anyway, so I, I won't say that that part was the hardest for me. I would say the most challenging part has been my golf game, getting, getting better at golf to, to meet the expectations of our members. Uh, you know, that's, that's been one, one thing that I've been focusing on a bit. But I think, you know, the thing that's been exciting, challenging, is that all of our community members, right, when they need a question answered... I'm usually the one that gets the the direct message or the ping or anything else. So my fiance doesn't love it, especially with a global audience, right? Exactly. So, you know, someone, a member in Australia sends me a, a message and my phone goes off. It's just one of those things that I've had to learn to adapt to uh, and find work-life balance. And I, I'm really grateful that, you know, I've been a member of, of a few communities and worked with the Lynx community are so great, so pleasurable to work with, but being able to balance everything in a global always online kind of concept has been, has been a challenge. I think it's a, it's a superpower, but also something that requires a lot of effort and, and shout out to everybody on the team who's, who's dealt with that.
1: Let's talk about things outside of links a little bit again. In sport more broadly, what are you excited by when it comes to Web3? In sport more broadly, in
0: Web3, I think that we're seeing a lot of really thoughtful, talented, and, and smart people, you know, start to implement and execute their ideas in these really high-level sports organizations. You know, MLB, NBA come to mind as, as great examples. Um, the world of, of football and, and soccer, I think, uh, as I'd call it, are also pushing the boundaries there. And I think that we're in a period of less frothy speculation, but that has had a propensity to change in the past. I think that we're going to see a lot of these ideas that came out of the 2021 bull run, people inspired to build really cool things. As those projects and products launch, we're going to see some, some incredible changes to the way that fans and sport come together and are connected through this technology.
1: What would be some of your advice to people working at those sports organizations as someone who's like, in the weeds, been there, done that, had the community, launched the tokens, done the thing they set out to do. What would be your advice to them? I think my, my
0: best piece of advice for someone working to, to launch or, or expand a, a crypto sports project would be that it's impossible to overinvest in community. The experience, uh, human touch points, and involvement that your fans, your audience get to participate with and, and uh, engage with is by far the most important aspect of the entire process. If you can make those touch points, that engagement feel exciting and important and you show that you value those community members, they're gonna be a lot less interested in uh, the speculation and more interested in participation and contribution. So you'll have more longevity with your community. You'll have more involvement, more passion, more virality. They're more likely to spread and tell their
1: friends if you can, you know, really support
0: and foster your community in that way.
1: And then more broadly outside of sport as well, where do you see yourself getting excited? Or are you just too in the weeds, (laughs) golf, sport, nothing else matters? Sure. I think that there's been, you know, some paradigm
0: shifts happening in sport more broadly. The way that large leagues are interacting and, and kind of evolving uh, in, in this way. But I think that we are going to see AI come and play a, a role in, in our daily lives in a, in a way that a lot of people have speculated about and we're not prepared for how that's going to evolve. Uh, and now semiconductors as well, right? Maybe. Aliens. Yeah, aliens. We've got aliens, we've got AI, we've got semiconductors. You know,
1: the world is changing incredibly fast. But on the sports side, just to pick your brains there, right, when you say the sports landscape is changing a lot, do you mean some of the direct consumer content? Uh, we're seeing like regional sports networks go under. We're seeing you know, something like fan-controlled football not coming back for season three because they can't maintain it from a capital perspective. Where do you see the landscape shifting the most? Where do you see some opportunities for sports brands to like, develop? Sure, I think the, the
0: empowerment of the average creator I'm a millennial myself, but I see you know some, some of the incredible talent and tools that you know Gen Z and, and the future generations are, are are using, just being so tech native with with everything that they do, the proliferation of those hot takes concepts, ideas, and and how not just fragmented in all of those micro communities that can be, but also the mutual ties that bind that whole ecosystem together. Um, I think that you know the age of Madden is over where there's only one, you know, authoritative voice in, in the world of football or, or, or something else. We're going to have a cacophony of, of voices and, and people contributing to the success of their favorite teams in so many
1: different ways. Flex Chapman from House episode four said the days of like ESPN being your sole point of contact with a team is over because everyone's going to become their own ESPN, whether it's a team or a creator.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's almost sad in a way because you know that was the spot where everyone saw the same ESPN top ten, the same highlights the night, and then the next day we we related to that in person. And I think that having those shared experiences is something that, as a society, we kind of need to have. But I think that there's still hope in the replacement of that with communities, right? Where it's not necessarily the centralized media production system, but the consumption and Discussion about these topics, these viral moments, these you know top plays occurs in one place where people are not just consuming the media but also
1: discussing and and contributing to it. It's funny you say that because we've also seen Twitter over the last like six months, twelve months change a lot. Most would say for the worse. I'd probably be in that camp. Uh, we've seen, but not just Twitter, right? We've seen Instagram rollout verifications we've had over the last like decade privacy concerns when it comes to Facebook. LinkedIn is amazing and I love using it uh, to grow spawn crypto and put content out but like the feature set and tool set for creators is like massively frustrating to some extent. YouTube can de-platform you whenever you want whenever they want and that's up to debate for whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing depending on what type of content it is but broadly I think this idea of like having an on-chain network of people that are a fan of something, and that is like permissionless, but it's also transparent, and it doesn't depend on anything else, right? And you can say, oh, you know, blockchain could die, but there are certain ways around that. Uh, You know, if Ethereum died tomorrow, then we kind of pack up shop anyway. But like, if you have an on-chain network of people you actually aren't as reliant on those other things like a Twitter or a LinkedIn or a YouTube or an Instagram that might change on a dime. It might change the algorithm, but like the fact that you have like a one of one or one of 200 or one of a thousand links membership, that's not going to change unless I send it to someone else or lose that wallet or whatever it may be. I think that's super powerful and I think that mindset shift is going to come soon where someone says, you know what? Twitter's changed their algorithm like 10 times in the last like four months. Instead of us having to be super agile and nimble, why don't we just do our own thing? We saw when Twitter rebranded to
0: X, the owner of the at X account, right? We don't know what, I think he he may have gotten the hat or or something like that in exchange for them uh, taking that handle. I think that, you know, on-chain ownership uh, and identity is, is really important. I think that the ability to find those content sources and communities across whatever platform you choose or or that works best for you is is really, really important. And, you know, I think that there's obviously a ton of innovation and, and really intelligent people working on this problem. But having that decentralized social network or social graph, I think not just one network, but that you can take your identity, your wallet, you know, your digital assets with you from place to place, not just when it comes to social and and interactions on a network state but from game to game from sport to sport i think is really going to be interesting and exciting
1: i think we're just waiting for somebody to to do it right i'm gonna ask you one final question before we wrap up what does the roadmap look like for links over the next year or so you know we've seen an incredible growth
0: of new members from the world of golf not just through our crypto and nft products but from our new memberships and pushing that paradigm forward to bring in more golf courses into the links network not even necessarily ones that we buy outright or operate but you know golf course general managers ownership committees who are interested in you know welcoming this new class of golfers right or Perhaps the old class that's adapted to this, this new way of, of doing things, I think, you know, is going to have a, a large effect. But I'm, I'm mostly excited about how we can just continue providing awesome experiences, like with our upcoming events to golfers all around the country.
1: Amazing. And the world. And the world, don't forget. Uh, where can people find out more about you and, and what you're doing at Lynx? Sure. I'm personally at coop NFT on Twitter.
0: Lynx.golf is our website. We got the .golf one. And you can find us on Instagram at official, and on Twitter at LynxDAO. That's
1: L-I-N-K-S-D-A-O. Fantastic. We'll have all that in the description and the notes below for you listening or watching on YouTube. Thank you so much for doing. You can find me at PetBerisha on Twitter, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A. And on LinkedIn, you can find Sporting Crypto on LinkedIn, but also recently on Twitter at underscore Sporting Crypto. Uh, please do subscribe to the newsletter that goes out every Monday on sportingcrypto.substack.com. You can also find us at our website, sportingcrypto.com. Again, recently acquired, which is really fun. Before we leave you, just remember that none of what we have said on today's show is business or financial advice. And this content is for informational purpose only. Web3 is underpinned by crypto and crypto is volatile, meaning you can lose money if you are buying these assets personally or as a business. Where we are recording right now in the US, the majority of crypto asset companies are unregulated. Thank you so much once more for consuming this content. Give us a review on iTunes or Spotify or on YouTube and uh, leave us a comment and some feedback. We'll have more sport Crypto podcasts for you soon.